Now, many of us in the church have been parents, or are parents, I shouldn't say have been. You know, they may be grown and gone, but there are still, we're still parents of a child. The Lewises still have babies in their family, so uh, they're quite familiar with this. But whichever it is, think back to their younger days. Were your babies sinners? Now, this actually is not what my sermon's about, but it has practical application. We happen to be uh, believers Baptists. We are not paedo-Baptists, which just means uh, child baptism. And I know why it sprung up, because in the early days, for instance, of this country, families had a number of children One of the reasons for that is because infant mortality, child mortality was so high that my own family, as they came across the Great Plains, buried children by the side of the road coming across the country and continued on. To us nowadays, with with our smaller families, I think we would be crippled by the grief, and yet they buried a child by the side of the road and continued on that same day. And because of the childhood mortality, I think that the Christian church began baptizing babies in the hopes that baptism saved them. And we know that baptism does not save you. That Faith in the Lord, repentance, calling on his name is what saves one, and that baptism is a sign that you have believed the Lord. It is, we are called to do it uh, in response to the salvation we've been offered. But, but more to the point, are babies sinners? You know, we often talk about original sin, this sin of Adam that has left us in a fallen state. That being said, once again, my question is, are babies sinners? Because I think they can't be, uh, truthfully. I mean, Mind you, I have been spit up my fair share on my share of times, okay? There are, there are filthy things that babies have inadvertently done to me that nevertheless were not intentional. Uh, they were purely biological. There was no malice aforehand as much as sometimes my shirts looked like there was. Now a baby is going to sin in his life eventually. Scripture tells us that, that all men sin. But is a baby capable of sin? A baby is hardly able to be bad, okay? I mean, is a baby ever bad? Really, a baby? I'm I'm talking about a baby in arms here, you know? But... Let's say a toddler. There's a very real reason that a certain age is called the terrible twos. Okay? There's a very, very real reason. 
A family help website that I went on to uh, describes this as a normal stage in a child's development where he bounces from a reliance on adults to a desire for independence. And I thought that was a good description. That leads to frequent mood changes, temper tantrums, fighting with siblings, kicking, spitting, biting, and screaming fits. Okay, they did a good job on that. I like that a lot. They they covered most of the essentials there. Charming behavior, of course, but is the terrible twos a sin? Once again, I think not. Uh, These developments of personality are really devoid of reason on the offending party's part, which is readily apparent if you've ever tried to reason with a toddler throwing a tantrum. Okay? Doesn't work real well because I have tried. But what about a three-year-old? Now, three-year-olds are like my favorite age. That's when, that's when they don't really necessarily want to be in the home with their mother anymore. Three, four, five. The things daddy is doing look a little bit more interesting. They get to explore lumber yards and construction sites with their father. Could they be bad? Well, yes, they could be naughty. Did they wander away and get lost in stores? Occasionally. Don't, don't, don't tell the wife. But were they sinners? Again, I would think no. So when does an innocent soul become a sinner? Okay? When does that happen? In modern Christianity, we have a concept called the age of accountability. This would be the ages of, say, 10 to 14 years old, somewhere in there. At that age, the theory goes a child knows right from wrong. They are also old enough to consider the claims of Christianity, to acknowledge the pull of conscious sin in their lives, and to call on the name of the Lord to be saved. 10 to 14 is usually... The early range for children to have a believer's baptism. I believe that uh, Megan was 11, Lauren was 12. And we made sure that they were catechized and and knew exactly what was going on before they were baptized. And it's important to note also that there is nothing in Scripture about an age of accountability. I mentioned previously the bar mitzvah. And we call it the coming of age in, uh, to Judaism. But it's actually the age at which a boy could read scripture in a synagogue or in the temple. It is the age that they were considered accountable to God. So, with the caveat of um, God's natural law that all men have written on their heart, for instance, thou shalt not murder, which even Cain knew he violated when he killed uh, Abel, Uh, thou shalt not steal, etc. I believe that those are universals. From the time of the Garden of Eden on, before the law was given to the Israel, to the Hebrews, to the uh, soon-to-be Israelites, 
The age a child is guilty of sin is basically the age they know better. Paul put it this way in Romans 7.9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Now, he was not a child at the time. He was already a lawyer. He was already a preacher of the scriptures. He was a grown man. He says, I was once alive apart from the law. And what he's saying here is he didn't know the law. He didn't. He knew what a Pharisee was supposed to know, but he did not know the law. And then he says, but when the commandment came, and what commandment are we talking about? The commandment of Jesus Christ. All the commandments. The the testimony of Christ's life. When that came to him, when he understood it, sin, he says, came alive. And I died. And that means he died in his sins. Because, was Paul really alive apart from the law? No. It's that he didn't understand the law. And because he did not truly know God's law... The Pharisee in him thought that by keeping the law of the Pharisees as scrupulously as he could, as Jesus said, tithing his mint and his cumin, but not knowing the weightier things of the law, he thought that he was righteous before God. Remember, down to this day, Jews believe that salvation is through the Torah, that keeping the Torah, studying it, is what brings you salvation but the knowledge of God's standard made him aware of his sin made him see that he was not living a righteous life sin came alive he said and I died and then he knew that God's law and Paul's imperfect keeping of it was not his salvation he instead remained dead in his sins. This same Paul in our study today is closing his sermon to the synagogue and city in Antioch. Previously, he had proclaimed Jesus, the son of David, as the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, quoting from the Psalms and Isaiah's prophecy fulfilled, Acts 13, 34 through 37, which he ended with in our study last week, reads, And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So today we're looking at the next five verses in Acts, which is Acts 13, 38 through 43. And I will read it all the way through, and we'll take it line by line. This is the end of the sermon of Paul Paul to city in Antioch. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, 
that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Listen to that. You are freed of everything by which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, he says, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers. And that's from the, uh, he's quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek version, uh, which says scoffers. Uh, It's interesting to note that the uh, Masoretic text, the Hebrew text says, look, you nations, meaning you Gentiles, okay? So scoffers and Gentiles go together here, and I just like that little word play. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The law of Moses, unlike Jesus, did not include forgiveness of intentional sins, which I did not know. At most, the law forgave unintentional or unknowing sin. Think of our uh, child analogy, a three-year-old throwing a a temper tantrum. He does not know that he is breaking God's commandment to honor your father and mother, among maybe other things, you know. Uh, The biting and the scratching come to mind. But a three-year-old doesn't know that they're breaking God's law. By the law of Moses, that baby's sin, such as it is, is forgivable. But for the uh, 10 to 14 year old, F.F. Bruce, uh, a great theologian from the latter half of the, the last century, and it really makes me old to say that kind of thing, the latter half of the old last century, mm, which I was alive for, yeah, for F.F. Bruce's ministry, he says, One could conceivably understand Paul to be arguing thus, even if you expect to enjoy a right relationship with God on the basis of Moses' law, remember that Moses' law makes hardly any provision for the remission of sins committed with a high hand. Intentional sins. For these, by contrast with sins of ignorance, Moses' law almost invariably prescribes, prescribes nothing but the full penalty. You're in trouble. The only way to have justification with God under the Mosaic system was to keep the law perfectly. The Apostle Paul, as a highly trained and scrupulous Pharisee, thought he was justified by the law only to find out after his conversion on the road to Damascus that he was, by his own admission, the greatest of sinners because he persecuted the church. He had just found out 
what the law commanded. Paul preached to those in city in Antioch this. There, let it be known, and this is verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. They'd never heard that before. Judaism didn't teach it. Forgiveness came only through the Son of God, Jesus. Further, verse 39 says, And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Christ freed all believers from every sin, small and inadvertent, to the very murder of God's people. And he did that upon sincere repentance. That was what was needed, to which Paul could personally attest, when God sets you free, you are free indeed. And through Jewish history, the sin of the Jewish people and nation had had great consequences for Israel. They were falling down at every... at every step of the way. We just read in, the old, uh, uh, in our Old Testament reading today that Moses and Aaron did not do what God said to call water for the people. He was to call for the water and God would provide the water. Instead, Moses demonstrated a physical action against the rock as though he were in charge of bringing forth the water. For that sin, he did not enter into the promised land. Anyway, the sin of the Jewish people and nation had had great consequences for Israel throughout its history because they clung to sin individually and as a nation throughout their history. Because of this, God allowed conquest, domination, by godless enemies. At the time that Paul is preaching this, Rome ruled the known world. Israel chafed under the rule of the Romans. Scripture is full of self-incrimination. In 1 Kings 8.46, Solomon lamented, there is no man who does not sin. Uh, John MacArthur points out that Job puts it this way in 9.2 and 25.4. How can a man be in the right before God? How then can a man be just with God? Or how can we be clean who is born of a woman? And the answer is that by the law of Moses, they couldn't be. You know, we say in Christianity that that the law is there to show man that they need more, that they need a savior, that they need a personal relationship with God. The Jews got around that because that's what it was supposed to show. But instead, as I say, even today I have read you from modern rabbis that say the Torah is our salvation. But if you can't keep the law in Judaism... You are not saved. You cannot have forgiveness of sins. Paul in Galatians 3.10 um, 
He says that everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law is cursed. And that's really what it means, that if you cannot keep the entire law, there is no forgiveness for you, and you are cursed. But Jesus took away the curse of the law, and remember, he said, I come not to to end the law, but to fulfill it. And he did take away the curse of the law by fulfilling the law. In Romans 3.28, Paul puts a point to it. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Paul continues on in his sermon now. He's, he's getting to the close. He says in verse 40 and 41, Beware therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers. Be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Now Habakkuk lived 600 years before Paul, and he is prophesying to Israel about Nebuchadnezzar's rise on the world stage and the coming defeat and deportation of Israel. And they did not believe that was going to happen because they had not been conquered before. And Habakkuk is saying, I am doing a work in your days, a work you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. But Paul's using that in a different sense because he is telling them about Jesus Christ, a work they did not believe. They were now the scoffers here It was, look, you scoffers, or look, you nations, I am doing a work. He's saying, look, you Jews of Israel, you scoffers, I am doing a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. Paul here turns the prophet Habakkuk's words to a warning to the Jews not to reject God's Messiah, and the promised salvation and forgiveness of sins unless a greater tragedy than Israel's removal from the land should befall them which is the banishment from God's kingdom those who refuse the offered gospel would suffer their poor decision for eternity Indiana Jones when they're going for the, the chalice of the Last Supper, and they choose the wrong one, and he says, you chose poorly. Do not choose poorly, Paul is saying, because otherwise you suffer that poor choice for eternity. On that note... Once again, Paul brings up the prophets. He ends his sermon with um, putting together prophecy with current events in Judaism. And this leaves the synagogue begging for more as they went out. The people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. Paul's sermon did that which a good sermon should do. It left those who heard it wanting more instruction. And that indeed they did. They begged 
that he would come back and explain more to them the next week. Verse 43 closes with, And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. I know that we've had a good service when everybody is hesitant to leave, just to talk about the things of God. This is what the people of, certain people of the city and Antioch synagogue were doing. Paul and Barnabas are on the way out. They're walking to wherever they're staying, and the people join them to walk with them and converse and find out more about the word of God along the way. But unknown to those followers and the others in attendance at the synagogue, something important had happened to that day. They had lost their innocence. They were no longer babies in the eyes of God. They couldn't claim they didn't know about what God was demanding of them, what the Savior came to do. They had had that taken away. They were now responsible to the truth that had been shared with them. Back in Romans 7, 9, when Paul said, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I die. He's not arguing that until then he had never sinned, but that he had never sinned intentionally. The law of Moses covered that sin. But now, when the commandment came to him, and he understood what God commanded, sin became alive in his life, and he stood condemned to death if there was no way to cover that sin for any of his trespasses. This is what Jesus Christ offered. And it needed to be accepted by the people who have now heard the message of what God has commanded. With that knowledge imparted, responsibility had come to those worshipers that day. They were no longer living as babies in this world, but were responsible in God's eyes for the truth they had been entrusted with now. But remember, God had entrusted the Jews with his word for 1,500 years now, He had entrusted them with the prophecies of the coming Messiah. It was their job to share those things. Now, they have been, they had failed on both those counts. They did not share the law with the world. They did not recognize the coming Messiah. They failed, and the result of this failure was that a few short years later, hmm, from this date, Within 20 years of Paul's preaching to city in Antioch, Jerusalem would be destroyed. Israel would no longer exist in any meaningful form. And the destruction of the temple would end Judaism's claim to be God's chosen people. They have rejected the Messiah. The Messiah rejected Israel. Remember, Three-quarters of the sects of the uh, Jewish people 
disappeared with the destruction of the temple. Only the Pharisees remained. Only the lawyers remained. Sorry, Dave. But but the Pharisees were the only ones left. Judaism was rejected by God and God replaced it with the true kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ. Instead of the Jews being responsible to recognize the coming of the Messiah in the world, the followers of Jesus were instead then charged with going to the ends of the earth and making disciples of all men in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul and Barnabas had just done. They had gone and explained the word. Now the Jews and converts to Judaism were without excuse. The commandment of God had been told to them and sin had thus become alive to those who heard. They could no longer claim to be ignorant of God's commands. The Jews who had rejected God's Messiah were now put on the same footing as the pagan nations. Paul says that the uh, Jews have to be grafted back into God's family. They are on the same footing now as the pagan nations. Paul is going to them to bring God's word and at the same time going to the pagan nations to bring the first that they've ever heard of this in their life. Faithful Christians would preach the word of God to all and all the world would be responsible to hear, believe, and respond to God's commands. And for those who finally reject all that God has has done to bring forgiveness of sins and a way to righteousness before God, for those who turned away from their last chance, there could be no crying. There could be no crying because they've been given the word. They've had the truth brought to them. They've had it explained. And it is their responsibility to accept the word of the Lord and to be saved. The way is provided. Everything's laid out before them. It's what we do here. Explain the word. And hope that the people, and pray that the people, will call on the name of the Lord. Let's close in prayer.